Skilled data scientists have recently estimated that excess U.S. deaths associated with the combination of non-pharmaceutical interventions and imposed medical interventions, which were neither safe nor effective, exceeded 500,000 U.S. citizens. Excess deaths due to the centralized government policies. I'm going to get a little serious here. You ready? Friends, citizens, physicians, lend me your ears. I come not to praise the top-down regulation of medicine endorsed by the mandarins of finance, governments, globalist organizations, and massive non-governmental organizations, but rather to bury it. It has now been four full years since a novel coronavirus first infected the human community. Laboratory engineered for enhanced human infectivity and disease, development of which was funded by the U.S. government and performed in the U.S. medical industrial complex working in cooperation with the Chinese Communist Party. Let's consider the most recent findings regarding the damage done by this top-down, centralized approach. Skilled data scientists have recently estimated that excess U.S. deaths associated with the combination of non-pharmaceutical interventions and imposed medical interventions, which were neither safe nor effective, exceeded 500,000 U.S. citizens. Excess deaths due to the centralized government policies. Propagandists from the U.S. government and CIA-influenced Johns Hopkins University tell us that there has been approximately one million U.S. deaths from disease associated with the Wuhan seafood market virus, as it was originally named, infection. These propagandists, in cooperation with a modeling team led by Dr. Neil Ferguson from the Imperial College in the U.K., have repeatedly told us that the case fatality rate of COVID-19 disease remember this number, is 3.4%. 3.4 out of every 100 people infected would die. That was the model. That was the basis for what has been done to us. This case fatality rate has been weaponized to justify jamming various drugs and, quote, vaccines through a highly abbreviated and corrupt emergency use authorization regulatory process and then imposing these products, which have proven to be neither safe nor effective, into medical practitioners and the general public. These experimental products have been imposed in a centralized, top-down manner by a combination of censorship, psywar propaganda, perverse financial incentives, suppression of bottom-up medical treatments developed and field-tested by practicing medical professionals, and targeted harassment and weaponization of the medical licensure process to attack and prevent any who raise scientific and medical concerns from practicing medicine or participating in valid scientific discussions. In stark contrast to these centralized authoritarian policies, data from Sweden, a country which refused to mandate these top-down policies and which has repeatedly been ridiculed for not following these centralized globalist-endorsed policies, demonstrates a SARS-CoV-2 case fatality rate of approximately 0.005%. Not the 3.4% coincidentally used in both the original fall 2019 Hopkins CIA 
Gates' Agenda 201, quote, pandemic wargaming, and in the biased modeling results of the Neil Ferguson Imperial College modeling. Taking the actual Swedish data into consideration, skilled data analysts have estimated that the actual total U.S. deaths from COVID disease are approximately 171,000, not 1 million. Let's take a moment to consider the history and current data concerning the recently emergency use authorized, quote, booster products. First off, there is no medical emergency at this time. The incidence of both disease and death associated with COVID-19 has essentially reached baseline. The declaration of medical emergency was formally terminated in May 2023. These products were designed based on advice from the FDA Verback Committee, which last summer predicted that the SARS-CoV-2 strain dominating the upcoming fall season would be the fearsomely named Kraken isolate. Johnny Depp would be proud. By the time these products were ready to be jammed through the FDA regulation, regulatory authorization process, the Kraken variant had been made extinct by the Eris variant, which was more infectious, less susceptible to antibody, quote, neutralization, and associated with symptoms virtually indistinguishable from the common cold. Confronting the paradox of vaccine strain mismatch, FDA and CDC relied on immunized mouse serum samples in an unvalidated, quote, serum neutralization test to assert that Kraken boosters were sufficiently cross-reactive to the Eris variant without actually sharing the data and analyses with external reviewers of the likes of URI. By now, just a short period after introduction of these products, a government-coordinated propaganda campaign has resulted in a total of 7% uptake of the products in U.S. adults and 2 to 3% uptake in the pediatric population. Us in the dissenter community, I think, have uh, had some impact. And now, under the selection pressure associated with global administration of these leaky, quote, vaccine products, which are neither safe nor effective in preventing infection, disease, replication, spread, or death. They prevent none of those things. Fact check me now. We see evolution of a newly dominant variant, HV.1. This variant now paradoxically incorporates an element from the distant Delta strain and is highly resistant to neutralizing antibodies. There are no data indicating that HV.1 is neutralized by antibodies elicited by the current booster. What this history demonstrates is that the modified mRNA vaccine platform, even with an FDA willing to bypass safety and efficacy norms, developed over decades of experience and jammed products through using, quote, emergency use authorization, still cannot keep up with a rapidly evolving RNA respiratory virus, which, as predicted, has become both more highly infectious and relatively non-pathogenic as is the history of all RNA viruses and respiratory viruses and viruses in general when they cross over into a new host. The centralized authoritarian global response to the entry of this engineered virus into the human population four years ago has clearly been an abysmal failure. Now let's consider the latest information about this technology and the purity of the, quote, vaccine products. When confronted by reporters from Trial Site News and the Epic Times, the FDA has resorted to stonewalling. 
The FDA has issued a categorical denial of adulteration and risk, stating, quote, no safety concerns relating to the sequence of or amount of residual DNA have been identified. Here's the full quote. The claim that the FDA is required to take any of the authorized or approved mRNA COVID-19 vaccines off the market is false. With over a billion doses of the mRNA vaccines administered, no safety concerns related to the sequence of or amount of residual DNA have been identified. Of course, you can't find that which you don't look for. With regard to the FDA-approved mRNA vaccines, available scientific evidence supports the conclusion that they are safe and effective. What does that term even mean? That is a propaganda term that we have heard again and again and again, just like the propaganda language that it's necessary for all of us to be protected uh, in order for any of us to be protected. This was repeated again and again and again to justify the vaccine mandates that we all had to be administered these products. In contrast to the FDA position, Moderna U.S. patent number 2019-0240317A1, filed in 2019, paradoxically, uh, discloses that Moderna is aware of the genotoxicity risks of DNA when delivered into patients by highly active non-viral lipid nanoparticle delivery systems. And this includes the risk of genotoxicity resulting in quoting from Moderna. Problems including the possibility of insertional mutagenesis, which could lead to the activation of oncogenes or the inhibition of tumor suppressor genes. This is Moderna's own words. FDA says no risk. Moderna says there's absolutely a risk with DNA contamination, and that's why you should use RNA vaccines. But by the way, they never developed an adequate manufacturing process to purify those DNA fragments away from their RNA. In contrast to the perverse, obscene tragedy, Associated with this centralized, top-down approach, endorsed and promoted by the mandarins of finance, governments, globalist organizations, and massive non-governmental organizations, today you will hear presentations and testimony from physicians and scientists demonstrating that the traditional bottom-up approach of focusing on treatment of symptoms by repurposing the existing pharmacopoeia to prevent disease and death from a highly inflammatory respiratory virus was far superior to the centralized top-down approach. If nothing else, due in large part to those with the courage to speak scientific and medical truth to power, the world is increasingly becoming aware that the propaganda of the COVID crisis and the centralized top-down approach has been a fraud. In an attempt to weaponize this fraud, For a variety of purposes, we have all been subjected to the most amazing centralized and globalized propaganda and cywar campaign in modern history. Going forward, we are emerging into a postmodern surrealist information landscape where truth has become subject to a postmodern golden rule. Those with the gold make the rules. Permitted truth has become entirely subjective. A distorted narrative propagated by public-private partnerships, which I assert meets Mussolini's definition of fascism, between governments, NGO, and the intelligence community and corporate media. This is our opponent. Medical freedom and personal autonomy is certainly important, but even more important is freedom and personal sovereignty. When governments are willing and able to deploy modern cywar capabilities on their citizens, then election integrity becomes completely moot. 
And we are all at risk of being functionally lobotomized indentured servants rather than independent individuals empowered to pursue our own destiny. It is past time to resist and bury these totalitarian authoritarian policies which are being deployed to advance corporatist globalist interests. And defense of medical freedom is a pretty good place to start. So in conclusion, looping back to that moment in time, that frozen day on the Lincoln Memorial where we scared the bejesus out of uh, the deep state. Never forget the wisdom of St. Augustine. The truth is like a lion. You do not need to defend it. Set it free. It will defend itself. Be a lion, not a victim. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Robert Malone. For 35 years, ivermectin was hailed as a miracle drug. It had an incredible impact on millions of people's lives around the world who suffer from diseases like river blindness, scabies, and elephantiasis. Without side effects, mind you, and at an affordable price. The scientists who discovered it even won a Nobel Prize. Some doctors tried it during COVID, and the effect was profound. Not perfect, but look what happened in Peru. 14-fold decrease in excess deaths during the pandemic. But many governments are not allowing the people to use it. And today, we're going to try to answer why. Welcome to Frontline Health. I'm Dan Skorbat. There is a drug that is proving to be of miraculous impact. Mountains of data have emerged from many centers and countries around the world showing the miraculous effectiveness of ivermectin. It basically obliterates transmission of this virus. If you take it, you will not get sick. This statement was made by Dr. Pierre Corey at the beginning of 2020. Dr. Corey and a group of other prominent doctors were among the first to develop an effective way to treat COVID-19 early into the pandemic using a cheap, FDA-approved generic drug called ivermectin. And this was at a time when the World Health Organization advised doctors not to treat COVID patients until the disease got serious. But these doctors found that in countries where ivermectin was used, death rates dropped dramatically. This was in clear contrast to the data coming from the US. The number of deaths here from COVID was one of the highest. And when these doctors shared their miraculous results of patients recovering from COVID with this simple medicine, the legacy media for some reason stigmatized and accused them of medical misinformation. And this cheap FDA-approved drug went from being a miracle to a dangerous horse dewormer. I had a front row seat to endless pervasive disinformation around ivermectin, and I will tell you they largely succeeded. In most of the advanced health economies around the world, it's not recommended. So what is it about ivermectin that makes it so controversial? Let's look at its history. Ivermectin was discovered in Tokyo by two scientists, Satoshi Omura and William C. Campbell. Dr. Amura was a golfer, and on one of his golf trips, he picked up a sample of soil around here, like any scientist would. 
on the east coast of the Izu Peninsula. And in this sample of soil was this bacteria. When they took it to the lab, they found it was able to kill roundworms in mice. So they isolated the bacteria's active compounds, slightly changed its structure, and called this new compound ivermectin. This new drug was a big deal, and both doctors Omura and Dr. Campbell won a Nobel Prize for discovering it. What was so special about ivermectin? Well, scientists are still puzzled by how exactly it works, but it seems to penetrate the nervous system of parasites. It disables their neurons, and that would basically make the parasite dysfunction until it dies. So in 1988, this drug was used widely in Africa to treat river blindness. This is a very unpleasant disease caused by a worm. Back in those days, the World Health Organization had reported that because of river blindness, some 270,000 people had lost their eyesight. But thanks to ivermectin, this disease is now on the brink of elimination. In fact, ivermectin was so great at killing off parasites, it was recognized as being second to penicillin in terms of having the greatest impact on human health. And over the past 30 years, some 3.7 billion doses of ivermectin were taken by humans. But the story doesn't stop there. Ivermectin wasn't just good at killing parasites. By the time of the COVID-19 pandemic, there was a growing body of evidence that ivermectin could be effective at treating viruses and inflammation. The inflammation part was very important because in severe cases, COVID can cause dangerous hyperinflammation in the body. And having an anti-inflammatory drug on hand was crucial. So a good number of doctors around the world began connecting the dots. The first study that mentioned ivermectin as a potential treatment for COVID-19 was conducted in Australia in April 2020. Researchers there injected ivermectin into infected kidney cells of monkeys. And they found that the drug was effective in very high doses. And a month after that, the government of Peru approved ivermectin to treat COVID-19 for the entire country. After about a year, a nationwide study was conducted. It concluded that ivermectin in Peru led to a dramatic drop in excess death across a population of 33 million people. Within five months, from August to about December, deaths had a 14-fold decrease. Then a new president came to power and heavily restricted the use of ivermectin. And guess what happened? The excess death rate went right back up. So that's what happened in Peru. Over in Brazil, there was a similar story. An international team of researchers examined 88,000 patient records in the southern city. And their study concluded that Brazilians who regularly used ivermectin as a precautionary measure had a 92% lower mortality rate. One of the authors of this study is a prominent intensive care unit lung doctor from the US, Dr. Pierre Corey. We showed you him earlier. Back in the day, Dr. Corey was part of a team of doctors who pioneered the use of ultrasounds in the ICUs across the US hospitals. Before that, critically ill patients had to be wheeled to an ultrasound exam, and that wasted a lot of time in life and death situations. Instead, Dr. Corey traveled around the country teaching doctors how to use ultrasound by the patient's bedside. That meant doctors could immediately determine what was wrong inside the patient. The guessing game was gone and more lives were saved. 
This doctor was part of a group that literally redefined what the standard of care was in the ICUs. And Dr. Corey is doing the same for treating COVID. He is one of the founders of the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance. The doctors here are dedicated to advancing COVID-19 treatment using ivermectin as the foundation. And the physicians who use ivermectin in their protocols allege incredible success in the thousands of patients that they treated. Dr. Benjamin Marble, for example, is an emergency medicine specialist in Florida. He alleges that his team has treated about 150,000 acute COVID-19 patients with treatment that involved ivermectin. Only six of those patients died. So if you put all of this together, you can see that there's strong evidence that ivermectin is effective in the early stage of COVID. It's effective whether it's pneumonia, and it's even effective in long haulers who continue to experience lingering symptoms after the infection. And if it really is that effective, why isn't it being prescribed on a large scale? Well, like any drug, it must be approved by the Food and Drug Administration or the FDA. And while ivermectin is on the list of approved drugs, the FDA has not approved it to treat COVID. The reason? Health officials cite lack of data in favor of ivermectin. And that's confusing because we just showed you a lot of data that signals ivermectin is actually very effective at fighting COVID. So how come the US health officials are not convinced? In their case, they want to wait for big clinical trials. And these randomized clinical trials have to be published in big journals. And that's exactly what happened here. This, for example, is the latest government-run trial published by the Journal of the American Medical Association. It involved just over one and a half thousand people in the US. And what they found was that ivermectin did not significantly improve time to recovery in patients with mild to moderate COVID. And if you take it at face value, you'd probably just end up siding with this headline. Study finds ivermectin has little effect. But if you actually dig into it, these big trials have a lot of problems. The other side will argue, ah, but these are the best trials. Every single one of these has massive pharma ties and funding conflicts. They are all highly conflicted researchers who essentially make their living by working for or getting funding from pharma. And these are the people chosen to study a generic off-patent drug. I almost want to leave my argument there because it's unassailable. You're literally using pharmaceutical industry employed investigators to study a competitor which would destroy the entire business model in COVID for these companies. How you can possibly trust in the design or conduct of the trial in that setting would you would need to be extremely naive at this point, a, a naivete that I had a few years ago after what uh, my journey through COVID. Um, my first question of any trial is looking at the investigators and their conflicts, and it'll tell you everything about the result that was achieved. As far as conflict of interest goes, this particular study had a lot to declare. The researchers were receiving funds from Gilead, which manufactures one of the few approved drugs for COVID treatment. They also received funding from Pfizer, which also has an FDA-approved COVID pill on the market. Merck and Regeneron were there too. These companies also have FDA-approved COVID treatments. So basically, 
At the time of this clinical trial, these researchers were paid by pharmaceutical companies who are directly competing against ivermectin. To Dr. Corey, this was immediately a red flag, so he took a closer look at the data in the report. They, at every turn, tried to use the lowest dose for the shortest duration, completely in departure compared to their favorite drugs. So when you look at drugs like Paxlovid and Molnupiravir, they give them to the patients early, they give them for prolonged durations, you know, and and you could, and that's how they try to show efficacy. With these drugs, they do the exact opposite. It is so brazen, the manipulations that they're doing to try to mitigate any evidence of efficacy. And despite all of those efforts, and this is where it gets really crazy, they make all of these manipulations to the trials, and yet ivermectin still has good data behind it. Like even in the trials, you'll see high probabilities that it was effective. It doesn't cross their statistical significance threshold. Some of the times it comes just under, which is on purpose. But I mean, you just have to do a little bit more than a casual look at these trials to see the brazen manipulations. In terms of good data, the government trial on ivermectin showed that the drug was actually statistically effective in the treatment of COVID on day 7 and on day 14. But on day 28, it was ineffective. And the researchers decided to use this day as the day that measures whether ivermectin was effective or not. But Dr. Corey said it is absurd to focus on day 28. Think about it this way. If you have a viral infection, it lasts about two weeks at the most, that's 14 days. So by the fourth week, there's usually no viral symptoms for ivermectin to improve because the person has already recovered. So yes, in that case, you can say that ivermectin is ineffective on day 28, but that would be the case for any other drug that helped the patient to recover. Regardless, this clinical trial is like a federal verdict. It gives the FDA and the National Institutes of Health the grounds to recommend against the use of ivermectin to treat COVID. And because these federal agencies are against it, so are the medical boards across the country. And this puts some doctors at risk of losing their medical licenses if they go against the system consensus. It's one of the great sadnesses of my life is I'm watching pharmaceutical industry corruption play out in front of my eyes every day now for a year and a half. I consider myself an expert now at, at looking at how big pharma manipulates uh, the body of science because I've been forced to observe it. I didn't know this. I didn't know this. When I gave my testimony, I had no idea it would launch me on this journey over the next two years of, of endless censorship and false narratives and propaganda and manipulations of science. And, and it's, it's a sad state of affairs what public health is today. Um, it, it's, it's unfortunately, I see it as, as deeply and almost completely controlled by big pharma. To give you another perspective, here's an infographic that the Epoch Times put together on COVID-19 treatments in the US. All the treatments that have been approved by the FDA come with an expensive price tag. 3,000 for remdesivir, up to 10,000 for plasma, 4,000, 2,000, and the medication that is not authorized on average costs under $60. And what's more, ivermectin is a safe drug with a 35-year track record, whereas many of these new drugs come with a big list of side effects. So please share this video with a friend because it looks like regular folks are being deprived of simple, effective, and safe medication that is saving lives. This is Frontline Health. I'm Dan Skorback. Stay healthy, America.